because I didn't have a good like father figure in my life and I had all these negative kind of comments in, as in childhood, I just began to really like pursue um, excellence. Hello again, my friends, and welcome to the show. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. If you haven't already, please follow along on the Instagram at the Toddcast underscore DAC and check out Disciple of City on Facebook and Instagram. And to learn more about how you can be equipped to share the gospel, make disciples, and see people set free, go to everydisciplesent.ca where we have resources, tools, and schools to help you along the way. My guest today is from Brickton, Nova Scotia, and he served in our military in the infantry for eight years. He spent 12 years doing search and rescue with the Air Force, and I'm given to understand he's jumped over 500 times out of perfectly good airplanes. He's now one of the national strategy coordinators for E3 Ministries. Please welcome Tony Vale. Hey, bro. Hey, man, how's it going? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thank you. We finally connect, eh? Yeah, it's been a little while in the making. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad, man. Thanks for taking some time to be with us today and share your story. I appreciate it. I know you're really busy. Uh, you're busy doing some construction. they building a building your house out there. Oh, uh, yeah, doing some major repairs on our place. There's a... Uh couple of windstorms earlier this year that ripped the shingles and the siding off and then that allowed us to find some rot so we're basically tearing it down and fixing all the underneath and then adding insulation and residing to <laughs> a huge project yeah it's a big project for sure so uh tony man uh were you born out in the east coast tell, tell us a little bit about uh like your childhood were you were you born where were you born Sure. Yeah. No, I was uh, born in St. John, New Brunswick. And, um, then, uh, at, uh, at four years old, uh, I had a near drowning experience, uh, where I ended up, um, in the hospital for, I think it was two months, uh, five days in a coma, had to have, uh, holes drilled in the front of my skull to let off some of the uh, swelling. And then I had to do occupational therapy to learn to walk and talk again. So, yeah, um, spent the first eight years of my life in St. John. Uh, Then my parents separated, and uh, I moved with my mom to Browns Flat, New Brunswick. It's a pretty small town, about 500 people. And uh, I'd started out school in French immersion and then transferred in third grade to English. So that was a rather uh, difficult time i bet and uh did um did you grow up going to the church at all what was your faith like background as a kid oh no no faith as a kid um my aunt ann uh was a believer and so when i recovered from the near drowning experience uh, she said to me uh you know god must have big plans for you because there's no reason why you should be alive right now and that sort of stuck in the back of my head. And uh, I remember kind of like ruminating on it uh, throughout my life. Um, but, you know, my dad, my biological father was a uh, severe alcoholic and was running around on my mom. Uh, so she ended up leaving him. And then um, when I was 12, she remarried my stepdad, uh, who turned out to be um, sort of an alcoholic and a cocaine uh, heroin user. And, um, he was like, not super violent, but he was like angry and, and could be a bit aggressive. And, uh, he, um, you know, would call us names and push us around and that sort of thing. And so it was not until, uh, the sixth grade, I guess I was probably, uh, 12 or 13, uh, when this, uh, boy, um, Neil Whitman, uh, introduced me to who Jesus was and invited me to church. And, um, I began to hang out with that family a fair bit because they were like a safe place to be. And I really enjoyed 
uh, being around them. Um, and so I had like a knowledge of who Jesus was and I enjoyed, um, being at church because it was with this other family. Uh, you know, Neil ended up becoming my best friend and, uh, you know, I, I, you know, his mom would mix my name up with, with her children when she was, you know, if somebody was in trouble, you know, she'd say, uh, you know, Miriam, Erica, Andrew, Neil, Anthony, like I was just, uh, I was really like just part of the family. And, um, but Neil and Andrew were both a bit older than I was and Miriam as well, actually. So when they moved away, uh, then because my faith was sort of attached to theirs, um, then, then I kind of just fell back into, um, sort of rough living and, and a difficult sort of space. My stepdad and I got into a big uh, fight one day. Um, I had parked my bike in front of the front door and uh, he was in a rush. So he came in with the truck and wasn't really watching where he was going. He tripped over my bike and he smashed his hand into the door jam and broke his finger. And uh, I was sitting at the kitchen table doing homework and he come in and was very angry and yelling. Um, and you know, he said, if you didn't park your bike there, then I wouldn't have tripped over it and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, I just kind of looked up from my homework and I was like, well, if you watched where the F you were going, you wouldn't have tripped over my bike. And, uh, that probably wasn't, uh, the most appropriate response for a man that I knew was angry and upset most of the time. Uh, but he like pushed the table out of the way and then picked me up and threw me over the table. And then he pinned me against the wall on the opposite side of the room with his, um, forearm and uh, had his fist cocked back you know he was gonna lay me out and uh, my mom was at the counter doing dishes she had a cast iron frying pan in her hand and she's like if you hit him i'll kill you and uh so that was enough to to calm him down but after that happened um i called my dad and said like i don't think i can stay here anymore would you come pick me up um and so i moved in with my biological father and he was, uh, I'm not sure how to explain it, but he just didn't have any rules, I guess. And so uh, I kind of, you know, began to just kind of run with the world. And um, after a couple of months, dad said that if I was going to stay there and not actually do any chores or help out, that I'd have to pay rent. Um, so he packed all my stuff up and put it in the shed and locked it. And uh, I came home uh, after a couple of days of partying. And uh, he said that to me and I was like, whatever. And I just turned around and walked away again. Uh, so I just left the stuff locked in the shed and then, and then ended up on the streets. I was freeloading, uh, staying with friends and couch surfing and that sort of thing. And uh, I did that for about 11 months. And then I was like, okay, this is not going well. I need to like get my life sorted out. So I joined the army. Well, how, um, how old were you at this time? Uh, I guess I would have been... Uh, 18, 17 or 18, uh, I signed up for the army. So when your parents, then, uh, sorry, man, when your parents sorry, first, uh, when your parents first separated, did you see your dad at all, like visits and stuff, or were you just sort of estranged? Uh, so my, when my mom and dad separated, dad was, um, thought that maybe he could convince mom to come home by like strong arbiter. So he didn't see us for, um, probably four years. And then, um, she went after child support. And so part of the child support deal was that he would see us every second weekend. So then he started taking us, uh, like around the time that I was 11 or 12. Um, and then we saw him, you know, periodically, uh, every second weekend. And he would often like drop us off at like a girlfriend's house or at our grandmother's or, or something like that. Cause he would be working or, or running the roads or whatever he was doing. And so my younger brother and I would just, you know, play make believe or whatever. Um, yeah. So I didn't have like a, a great relationship with my dad, but it, it wasn't uh, like totally non-existent either. Yeah. Okay. All right, man. So you're, you then couch surf and all that out of the house and you decide to join the army. What, what made you decide to, what made you decide to do that? Was it just an option that was out there for you or what, what drew you to that? Uh, well, when I was a teenager, I had, uh, been in the army cadet program 
and uh, I really enjoyed uh, like the shooting and the uh, drill and the discipline and the, um, I just felt like that structure. I mean, I would have said this as a teenager, but looking back, I just felt that that structure provided like some level of safety um, as well, like Neil and Andrew and Miriam um, and actually their little sister, Erica as well. You know, they were, they were my best friends and they were also involved in the cadet program. So uh, it was just a way to, to hang out with them. And uh, I did pretty good at it. So then after I ended up on the streets, I thought like, you know, I barely made it through high school. You know, you only need a 10th grade education to make it in the army. So maybe I'll give that a go. Um, so that was kind of the, what led me that way in the first place. Okay. So, and so what did that, what did that look like? Where did you join and where did you start? Did you start out in the East coast? Yeah, so I, well, I signed up at the base in Gagetown. Um, and then I got posted to Quebec for basic training. Um, and I was able, before I signed up in Gagetown, I knew that, you know, well, I didn't, I shouldn't say no, but I had this sense that they were probably going to test for drugs. So I, you know, stopped using at like the two month mark before I knew my interview was coming. And then I went and did my interview and my PT test, uh, like a physical training test and, um, scored pretty highly. Uh, in fact, uh, the guy said that I could do any position, uh, except for officer. And if I wanted to be an officer, then I would just need to go and redo my high school math. Um, and I just told him like, I don't want to do anything but the infantry. Like I just want to shoot things and blow stuff up. <laughs> and, uh, he was like, well, man, you could do so many other things. And I was like, no, I just want to be in the infantry. Um, so he tried to talk me out of it, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't let him. So then I got posted to Meatford, Ontario. Uh, that's where I did my battle school. And, um, uh, at that time I had, I was engaged to this girl, um, and she ended up, uh, sleeping with the drug dealer. So, you know, we had made this decision together that I would like go and join the army. We'd both clean up and, you know, get legit jobs and that sort of thing. And, uh, somewhere along the way she lost the vision. So, uh, she started sleeping with the drug dealer. And as you can imagine, that didn't, you know, work out well for us. Um, so I was about halfway through my battle school when that happened. And I ended up like busting all the windows out of a phone booth with the receiver. Um, and then kind of like, I don't know what the word is, but that made me like a little more driven to be like successful, um, in the army. And so I just kind of put my head down and, and started to really pour everything I had into, into being a good soldier. Um, so then battle school was 16 weeks. So I think it was in November of 2001, I graduated and got posted to Petawawa. And, uh, so I was living in Petawawa, Ontario and, uh, I got off the drugs, but I had replaced it with drinking. Um, so I was drinking, you know, six nights a week and just like partying hard all the time. And, uh, Jesus actually appeared to me in a dream. Um, and he said, like, if you don't sort your life out, you're not going to be happy with the way it ends. And uh, so I woke up in like cold sweat and, uh, you know, I'd been partying until three in the morning, woke up at like seven 30 and called a cab and was like, okay, you need to take me to the closest Baptist church. And cause that's the church that I had originally heard about Jesus in. And I didn't know anything about churches at that time. And uh, the cab driver took me to this place called first Baptist in Pembroke, Ontario. And, um, you know, the youngest person in the congregation was like 65 years old. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Like, is this some kind of joke? And, uh, so their service was from nine till 10 and I left at 10 and I was like actually cussing at God. Cause I was like, Oh my goodness. Like you woke me up in the middle of the night for this. Like, I thought you were going to like help me get my life sorted out and meet a nice girl and get married. And, um, so anyway, I was kicking this rock down, uh, what's called Moffat street um towards the main drag in Pembroke and uh, I came to I think two streets later there was a Wesleyan church called Wesley Community and their service went from 10:15 to 11:15 so I was like oh I guess I'm going to go to church twice today and uh, I walked up the stairs and the pastor uh Herb Van Essen uh met me at the door and he gave me like a half like handshake half hug and he was like oh my goodness we're so glad that you decided to join us today 
And I had never had like any positive male affection in my entire life. So that just like, it, like he just had me, like, I was like, Oh my goodness, like, where am I? Um, and so I started going to Wesley community church and he like her took me under his wing, like a son. And he, you know, taught me about love and grace and, um, you know, that Jesus wants to bring you peace. And, um, I still had like a lot of struggles, things that I hadn't let go of or released. Uh, but that's sort of where my like intentional, uh, relationship with the Lord started. And, and this is, you're just in training at this point, right? You haven't gone on a mission or, right? You're still in the process of training. That's right. Yeah. I just, uh, you know, within a year of being posted, um, to Petawawa. So just kind of a new guy, like getting worked up. So then, so at this point, so now you're, you're, that's all almost disheartening. I, eh? to, to say, to say that bro, that you, at that point you hadn't had any male affection in your whole entire life. Um, so how long were you in Pembroke? Cause you might, was that your yeah. final post or was that your main base or? Yeah. So my main base was Petawawa. So I was there for eight years. I served with both one and three RCR oh, okay. in uh, Petawawa, uh, did tours to Bosnia, Croatia, and Afghanistan, uh, you know, married my wife in that church. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was a, it was a quite the, quite the time, you know, my wife and I met originally at a summer camp when we were, uh, mid teens and, um, we were, I was gunnel bobbing. So I was like having this battle with another kid on a canoe and you stand on either side and you jump up and down and try and knock each other off. And uh, I look over and saw uh, Olivia on the beach. And then I was way more interested in her than I was in this competition. So I just jumped off the boat and started swimming over to the beach. And then I just sat down beside her and I was like, Hey, what's your name? And she's like, who is this weirdo? And where did he come from? <laughs> um, but so that was like our initial meetup at a summer camp. And then I joined the army. She went away to school in PEI and when she was packing up to go home from college, uh, she found my email in her agenda. You know, she was like packing stuff up, dropped her agenda, and it opened the page with my email address on it. And so she emailed me. I hadn't talked to her in four years. And I was I instantly was like, oh, my goodness, like, this is my girl, you know? And uh, so we started talking via email. Then I went and bought calling cards. You know, I don't know if you remember calling cards, but... Back right. in the day before cell phones, we used to get calling cards, yeah. like $25 prepaid cards. And, uh, you know, I would sit in the common area of the singles quarters uh, that we affectionately refer to as the shacks. And down by the entrance, there was three phones. And I would sit there on one of the pay phones, like, and just talk to her for hours. Um, so then I went on exercise in the U.S. And I bought a special calling card in order to be able to call her from the state. And that's when I knew I was like deep in trouble. Um, so uh, I went to visit her in the summer. She came to visit me in September long weekend. I went home at Christmas. She moved to Ontario in February and we got married in March. So we were about nine months, saw each other for like a total of like three and a half weeks um, before we got married and decided to walk out life together. When you know, you know, eh, bud? Yeah, that's it, man. And uh, the crazy thing, like we heard that the first year of marriage is the most difficult. So we decided to skip it. You know, uh, I spent uh, six months in workup and then six months in, um, where was I now? In uh, Bosnia. And um, so in our first year of marriage, we only spent three months in the same country. Oh, wow. So then the first month, the first year was was all right. You got it out of the way and it's just all good. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so when, as you were accepted into this church and all that, dude, did you, uh, like, were you really feeling the essence and the trueness of, of God and Jesus or was this stuff becoming tangibly real to you or was it just such a warm sense of belonging in a safe place? Like how did that look to you? And, and then how did that affect you when you went and 
did tours in Bosnia and the, you know, the military stuff that you would see? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, I mean, at the time I felt as though I was in relationship with the Lord. Um, again, like hindsight is twenty twenty. So looking back, I wasn't uh, fully surrendered in a way that I would be now or that I would express to others that they should be. Um, but I knew who the Lord was. I was praying sort of on occasion. I was reading my Bible. We were, as a couple, attempting to uh, follow the Lord. Um, but we still, both of us, Olivia and I both, we still struggled with um, alcohol abuse and sort of living one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. And um, so uh, Bosnia uh, doesn't stand out uh, faith-wise too much. But when I went to Afghanistan, like I just had this deep sense of peace that I knew that the Lord was going to look after me and that he had plans for me uh, in the future. And so that sort of really gave me a sense of purpose and allowed me to not um, kind of like live in fear. And so when I got posted to Comox, my first posting with Search and Rescue, um, then I began to really explore, okay, well, how can I serve Jesus more? And so I was doing a lot of volunteering with the Youth for Christ chapter. Um, and then I also uh, joined the board for an organization called Malachi Man, which is a father-son ministry. And uh, that's when um, the Lord began to speak to me that, you know, if you're going to be in Christian leadership, then you should live a life that's sort of in line with that or worthy of that. Um, and so then I, I began to try and like, you know, not swear as much, get off the alcohol, um, you know, be more loving and kind to my wife and these types of things. Um, but I was still trying to do it in my own strength. And so, um, it was in 2013, I guess, when I just like fell flat on my face and was like, just completely like overrun by how little control and, and, um, you know, how, uh, effective I could be at like removing myself, uh, from the mock and the mire and the sin and, and all this sort of thing. And so by, by like partway through 2013, like February or March, I had just come to the end of myself and I cried out to the Lord and said, like, I need you to bring some more people into my life who can help me uh, to process and to, and to like really be committed to you. And um, so there was a number of people at that time, uh, Dave uh, Mitchell, who is a uh, missionary in Scotland now, uh, he was living in Comox at the time and he came alongside me and we did some like prayers of examine and some repentance exercises and really like digging deep and trying to figure out like, you know, trauma from my past and, and like places where I'd given the enemy footholds and, you know, we would like write things out and then uh, release them and, and then throw them in the fire. And um, it was just, it was just a really beautiful time of like, letting the Lord cleanse me and, and releasing to him and, and stop, you know, trying to be in control and like make things work out on my own. Um, and so then in 2014 is when I met E3 and uh, I attended a gospel conversations training um, that was attached to a youth missions trip. And so uh, this guy, Mark Aspinwall came up from California and uh, for six days, we would do uh, a Devo in the morning, then breakfast, then training in outreach and evangelism. Then we would go out in the afternoon and do outreach and evangelism. And then we would have either a fun activity or a worship night in the evening. And uh, man, that like wrecked me because when I saw the four fields and I just like came to terms with the fact that calling Jesus Lord also meant like living out his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, 
uh, it like, it just radically changed my heart. And it like, for the first time in my life, I felt like the life abundant that Jesus talks about, you know, the freedom and the, and the excitement and the, and just like being totally sold out and on fire for him. And so that initial taste of doing outreach and like pushing past my comfort zone and talking to people about Jesus was really what started me on this path of like, okay, I need to pray more. I need to get in the word more. You know, I need to go through some uh, more repentance exercises and like deliverance and all these types of things. And um, yeah, so 2014, yeah, and that's when I really like committed all in. And so where were you, where were you at in your military career in 2014? Uh, I was on my second posting as a search and rescue technician. Okay. So you, you had left the infantry, went into search and rescue and that would be all within Canada or would that be all over the place? I know a search and rescue for Canada is, is just domestic operations. So just places within Canada. Okay. So you were in your second posting there and where were you living and did you have kids with your wife or where were you at in your whole life when, when all this started happening? And how do you have time and how do you have time to do search and rescue, have kids volunteer for these organizations and learn all this stuff at the same time? Yeah. Oh man. Those are a lot of questions all at once. Uh, so, uh, family life. Um, I was in Winnipeg. I've been posted to Winnipeg from Comox and uh, we just had our sixth child. Um, so Wick was born in Winnipeg. And uh, his name is Wick. It's a Scandinavian name, which means light in the village. So his birth represents uh, our transition from being like nominal Christians who attend church to being a part of the church and being on mission uh, for Jesus. And so, um, yeah, so I had six kids. Wick was just born. Uh, so I guess that puts Micah at like, I think he was eight or nine. So he's my oldest. Uh, so there's Micah, Asante, Acacia, Elise, Declan, and Wick. That's the six of them. And um, yeah, we we did a lot of sort of church searching when we went to Winnipeg because um, I just really wanted to go to a church that was like digging deep in the word but also like making um, like physical expression uh, of the faith. And um, it's sometimes difficult to find that. Um, So we went to a number of churches before we finally ended up at Ness Avenue Baptist. And then it was the youth group at Ness Avenue Baptist that asked me if I would be a chaperone uh, with them on this missions trip that introduced me to E3 And then, uh, man, I just, like, I just took off running. So uh, it's actually the time in my life where the Lord also started to um, take my love and my, um, I don't know how to explain it, but like, I was, I was really gaining like a lot of my identity from being a search and rescue technician. So up until that point, uh, I had always tried to like achieve the highest or be the best or, or be near the top. Like I always wanted to like show that even though I had teachers in the, you know, sixth and seventh grade or seventh and eighth grade, sorry, who told me like, you're never going to go anywhere in life. You're never going to do anything. You know, you'll never be successful, these types of things. And then uh, I just, because I didn't have a good like father figure in my life and I had all these negative kind of comments, in as in childhood, I just began to really like pursue um, excellence in in the army and then in the search and rescue. And I I was very um, what's the word? Like I had a lot of deep set insecurities and and was just trying to like really make my identity um, sort of this outward expression of who I was and that I could be successful. And so then when I was in Winnipeg and I met E three and I began to pursue. Jesus and his kingdom, like with a hundred percent of my life, then the Lord really took my love for search and rescue and began to redirect it towards his kingdom. 
And so I thought I would be in the military like forever. Like when I signed up at 17 years old, I thought like, I'm going to stay for 35 years and retire as like a chief. And, um, the Lord really redirected my heart so that by the time I got posted to Greenwood, uh, where I am now, um, in Nova Scotia, you know, I was like, I still want to do good at my job because the Lord tells us like in everything that you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. But it wasn't like the foremost on my mind. You know, I really wanted to like make sure I was using every aspect of my life to be reaching out to others and to be sharing the love and the freedom that I'd experienced through Jesus so that they could, you know, experience the same thing. Um, and so I was here, I think four years. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, before the Lord called me, uh, to leave the military and enter into full-time ministry. Uh, which is what I'm doing now as the strategy coordinator for Canada for E3 Partners or E3 Ministry Canada. So just before you did that, as as you had this sort of shift in your faith, were you were you beginning to share your faith with your coworkers in the SNR, or were you or with people perhaps that you rescued? Were you speaking to them? Yeah, I would I would take opportunity to. Uh, speak with coworkers. I still had a lot of, um, uh, what's the word like baggage, I guess, you know, because I'd been doing the army for so long. Uh, it became, it became an interesting dichotomy to like all of a sudden be like talking about the Lord when, you know, I was more or less just living in the world with these guys previous. Um, but there were a number of good conversations. Uh, I know one time we went out to do a harvest push and uh, I actually prayed ahead of time that I wouldn't run into anybody from work. Um, so we went to this, this uh, park um, in Winnipeg and uh, Assiniboine. It's like a pretty big park that uh, in kind of the uh, west end of the city. And, um, you know, we were there for like maybe 15 minutes when I ran into one of the uh, navigators. And uh, I could see him walking and I was like getting like all fidgety. And then, uh, you know, I had these like four or five youth with me. I was taking them out to like train them. And so I was like, okay, well, I got to set an example for these guys. Right. So then, you know, about three minutes later, we walk up, he's walking his dog and I'm like, Hey man, how's it going? And, uh, he's like, Oh, pretty good. What are you doing out here? And I was like, well, actually we're just out like looking if we can, uh, pray for anybody or be a blessing. And, uh, man, it was crazy because God used it. He like, just opened right up. He's like, yeah, I'm like in the middle of a divorce. I'm like really like discouraged. And, uh, you know what? Some prayer would be great. And, uh, so we, you know, me and these four or five youth, uh, prayed for him. And then, um, you know, I already had his number, uh, through work. So we started messaging each other. We were getting together for Bible studies and, uh, like the Lord just really, you know, in that moment, he just showed me like, if I trust him, and he's going to work out the details. And so I don't need to be worried about, you know, what to say or what to do or how people are going to perceive me. What I need to worry about is whether or not I'm being obedient, you know, to his voice and what he's asking me to do. Uh, again, not out of the sense of duty, but because he loves me so much and I want to, I want to respond to that love by walking it out, you know? Yeah. Wow. It's funny. It's funny that you prayed not to see somebody from work. <laughs> And then you see somebody who's so open and so needs to talk to somebody. Uh, yeah, the Lord's awesome. Right? So so you feel compelled to leave the military. So you leave with, what did you say, 22 years of service? Uh, 20 and a half. Yeah, that's right. 20 and a half. By the way, man, thank you for your service. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was a blast. Um, I'm sort of broken now, but... It was it was a good time while it lasted. Um, so so you leave there and now you're a national strategy coordinator for E three. So you're full time, and that's a big six kids, man. You've you've doubled me, <laughs> but six kids and and leaving that career to go into ministry is truly trusting in the Lord. So what does that look like for you now? How long have you been doing that? And and what is your what is your role out there? Yeah, no, that's. That's a great question, man. Um, so this is, I mean, I, I don't say this to brag or, or to like, 
give any kind of, um, you know, kudos to myself, but I just think it's a really important part of the story. You know, just before I released it, like, again, I, it was like a two year process of me, like arguing with the Lord about whether or not this was the right thing to do. But then once I made up my mind and I was like, okay, yeah, I am going to release, um, you know, it was like only a couple of months later that the government of Canada, uh, said that they were going to give us a, uh, 40% pay raise. And, uh, so, I, my boss actually had bets with the other guys in the unit saying like, for sure, Tony's going to change his mind because nobody can walk away from a 40% pay raise. And, uh, and I just, you know, stuck to my, stuck to my convictions and left, even though that 40% pay raise was coming. And, um, it's, it's nothing short of miraculous, uh, the way that the Lord has provided, you know, he, we've never been in a position where we needed anything, you know, like he's just always taking care of our bills and our food and even like a little bit extra to like go on vacation or to take the kids, um, you know, to certain things, uh, or even on work trips, you know, we were in Nevada. Uh, I had a big no place left conference that was happening. And, um, I just really felt like the Lord was saying like, you know, your family needs you. So I want you to bring them with you. And so, you know, taking my wife and six children on flights and then getting um, an Airbnb and staying in Nevada for like 10 days, like that's, that's no small task, you know? And, but the Lord like just provided and, uh, and just took care of everything. And uh, I also just completed a leadership course with the Aero School of Leadership and same thing, you know, like it's not a, excuse me, it's not a, um, a small sum of money, you know, to take that program. But, uh, I just, you know, I just knew that the Lord wanted me to do it. And so I signed up in faith and made my wife quite uncomfortable. And, uh, but every time that it's a payment's due, you know, the Lord has provided. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's just such a faith stretching activity, but I don't even feel like I have the words to explain like how beautiful it is, you know? And we just like, we know that if we pray and the Lord speaks to us and asks us to do something, then he's going to take care of it, you know? And so we just, you know, I went from in my early Christian walk, you know, struggling to pray for like two or three minutes to, you know, I can sit down now with one of my children and we can pray together for an hour or maybe even an hour and a half. And just, I don't know. It's just like our relationship is so much more, uh, real and intentional. Um, you know, I used to struggle like thinking that I was like talking to myself, but it, like, that's just, that's folly, you know, like the, the Lord is present and he's with you and he doesn't only listen, but he also speaks in return. Mm. And, um, one really awesome thing that I've been doing, uh, probably in the last year, cause I retired in June, uh, of last year. So I've been retired just over a year now. And, um, I, I felt the Lord say to me, like, I really want you to learn to practice presence. And so what I mean by that is like this idea of like not saying anything and not expecting to hear anything, but just like curling up with the Lord and like sitting on his knee, like in a rocking chair, you know, just like cuddling with him, which sounds like ridiculous, you know, uh, from like with outward appearance, but this idea of just being with him for the sake of being with him, you know, like in the same way, that one of my kids would come and be with me and they don't say anything and I don't say anything, but we, we just like bond in that time. And it's just so beautiful. So yeah, it's been, it's been amazing, man. Like I, I wouldn't change it. Not for the world. Amen. So, so what are you, what are you doing right now? What are you doing? Like, what does your last couple of months looked like with E3 ministries? Like, can you explain a little bit about a national, strategy coordinator, what your, what your job entails? Sure. Of course. Yeah. So, um, as the strategy coordinator for Canada, um, I'm sort of traveling seven to 10 days a month to different locations where we have teams and then just, you know, encouraging them, building them up, uh, seeing like, is there any conflict that needs to be rooted out? Uh, is there any training that would be beneficial uh, you know, is there any way that I can provide lift to what they're doing? Uh, do we have any, um, I also sit on the executive team. So, 
sometimes there's like things that need to change, like as far as processes are concerned in order to make it better for our missionary teams. Um, so I'm always trying to like, you know, come up with ideas that would make it uh, easier and more effective for those people to live on mission. And then also uh, just sharing my story of, you know, having spent eight years in the military and still doing outreach and evangelism and church planting, because uh, I think like the enemy uses a lot of lies to tell people like, you could never do this or you're not capable or, or whatever, you know? And it's like, I don't have a seminary degree. Like I was not a like spectacular example of Christianity. Like I didn't even really like have a passionate relationship with the Lord, but I attended one five day training or sorry, six day training. And it just changed my life. Like in every trajectory that you can imagine. And so I just want to, I just want to let people know that there is so much more to the Christian walk than going to church on Sunday and midweek Bible study, you know, like there's just living every day, every minute, regardless of what you're doing. And like, not everybody needs to be like a missionary, you know, with a title, but you know, if you, if you're a firefighter or if you work in the marketplace, like selling food or, you know, if you're, you know, whatever you're doing, like a teacher in schools, like you can just take opportunity to, to be present with people and to share the Lord and, and to really like help them in a way that they really truly need, as opposed to just having like surface level conversations. And like, I mean, the Lord calls us to live in community and, you know, in the West, we've just become so independent that, that we really rob one another of the, um, ability to be a blessing. And so even when somebody offers to do something nice for you, like the natural reaction in the West is to be like, no, 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 that's fine. I don't need that. Like, we just, we're just so scared that people are like looking down at us, but it's like, you're actually stealing a blessing from that person because they're going to get so much joy from being able to do what the Lord has called them to, right. To look after widows and orphans and, and to really truly love one another the way that God calls us to. So yeah, I guess, I guess, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, my first priority is to my staff uh, or to not my staff, but to the Lord's staff through E3. Uh, but also, I mean, it's called E3 Partners. So we're willing to partner with, you know, individual Christians or Christian organizations or churches, you know, anybody who wants to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, you know, if we can do anything to serve them, then then we want to do that because, our goal is to see Jesus's name magnified, you know, throughout the earth. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome, man. And that, uh, E3 ministries.ca, is that the website people can go and look at to get connected? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. E3 ministry.ca and, uh, E3 stands for equipping God's people to evangelize the nations and establish his church. Um, and then, uh, you know, our parent organization is called E3 partners. Um, and I think, don't quote me, but I think that you can find a link uh, from the DAC website because we're partnering on the Every Disciple Sent initiative. Yes. So I think that you can get back and forth between the websites. Yes, you can. And and uh, we've, we've had some others uh, from E3 on the podcast. So um, if you've, for the listeners, if you've not heard that, uh, E3 partners, you can look at, you can look into e3ministries.ca and uh, if you want to be encouraged and also figure out, you know, how to share the gospel and hear these stories. And then, of course, there's I Am Second on YouTube. You YouTube that and just can find tons and tons of testimonies on there. I know that for me was binge watched a whole lot of I Am Second videos. They're fantastic. Uh, Tony, thanks. Oh, yeah, I mean, when I, uh... sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, man. Oh, I was just going to say, like, uh, as I was getting involved in missions in, in 2014 and like really turning to the Lord, I did this 22 day challenge with I am second. And uh, at that time they were really talking about anger and unforgiveness and, you know, malice and, and these sort of things and how it like really like robs you from being able to be in right relationship with others and with the Lord. And uh, at the end of that um, 22 day challenge, um, I just felt like super convicted that I had to like let go of all this unforgiveness 
that I was holding on to. And so I ended up writing letters to my stepfather, my dad, and like a couple of other family members who I had felt like I was holding a grudge against. And man, it was so freeing to like send those off and just be like, you know what? I don't hold any of this against you. Like, I understand that you didn't have the best life growing up. And like, I'm not saying that you weren't responsible, but I do understand that like there were other circumstances that caused it to be like this. And I just want you to know that I don't hold any ill will. Uh, and in fact, I love you guys. So, um, and my stepdad, he just wrote back and said, thanks. And, and I've, um, I've never spoken to him again, but it was just like so beautiful. But then my father, uh, like who I was just like in really strange relationship with, he's actually coming here this afternoon and he's going to stay for a couple of weeks and help me work on the house, you know, and, and he's been here a number of times already and he'll probably be back again in October. So, you know, if you guys are praying, um, you know, pray for my dad because uh, it would be just so great if he could come to know the Lord, you know, my mom has, um, and, and her, uh, new husband. Um, but my dad, uh, we're in right relationship, which is amazing, but it would just be so great if he could be in right relationship with the Lord as well. Oh yeah. I- I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up too, that unforgiveness, because that is so huge and integral to just, you know, the full surrender to the Lord and, and recognizing that. And yeah, bro, before we get off, we'll pray, we'll pray for your dad. And it's great to hear about your mom. Uh, and your new stepdad, that's awesome. And it's great to see that Jesus broke the cycle, right? Because those guys, like you said, they would have grown up in a certain way and not that it makes it right, like you said, but but still right. And, and then that seems to oftentimes in life cycle. And so through Jesus, man, that cycle's broken for your kids. And that's that's a beautiful story right there. Yeah, amen. Yeah, I praise the Lord regularly for that. Because that's... Uh... You know, all, all I ever wanted was to be a good husband and father, but I had like no examples for what that looked like, you know, but you know, Jesus is the perfect example. And so we can just turn to him and he'll sort it out. Yeah. Tony, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I really appreciated it. Um, I did want to ask you about some stories about jumping out of airplanes five, 600 times or, or whatever you did, but really it's more about Jesus jumping into your heart, dude. So whatever we, we can talk about that. Looking forward to seeing you in October. Um, anybody listening in the East coast disciple of city is going to be coming down, partnering with E3 coming down to Moncton, New Brunswick with some, uh, local chapter down there. Uh, for the Every Disciple Sent event. So if you're living out in that area, please look into that and check that out. Uh, Tony, um, I just have one, one final question for you, bro. Um, if if you, uh, it, well, even in ministry, outside of ministry, if you, you came across uh, a teenager or maybe one of your friend's kids who you recognized was going through, you know how you said you had met in with that family when you were growing up and you started going to church with them. Um, you say one of your kids had a friend like that, that started coming around and maybe they don't say anything, right? Cause people tend to hide their problems and stuff, but you recognize it cause you had been through it. Uh, what would you say? What, what encouragement would you say to a kid that would be going through what you went through? Uh, I would say don't lose hope. And then for the family that's that's looking out for that kid or that's having, you know, who's been given an opportunity to meet with them, I would say, um, you know, refrain from judging. You know, it's it's just so important to love them and to help them to recognize that there is another way. And uh, because they're used to rejection, Uh, the first thing they'll do is they'll look for opportunities to say that you're not genuine or that you don't love them for real. And then they're going to start pushing you away. And if you allow that pushing away to affect you in a negative way, like if you become hurt or, or decide that they don't really want your help, uh, then you'll lose the opportunity. Whereas if you press into love and you show them that you care about them regardless, uh, then that's when they'll be able to open their hearts to change into the Lord. 
and open hearts is what the Lord is looking for, hey? Amen. Thanks, Tony. Bless you, man. I'm looking forward to seeing you in the flesh in October. Yeah, likewise. Take care, brother. Take care, bro. Thanks for listening to Tony's story today, friends. A childhood with no example of a father figure. And he was just driven to success. It drove him into the army and driven to success and identity. Trying to be the best through a work identity. But ultimately finding the father's love, the greatest example of a father. And what strikes me so much is the people along the way that wanted to show him examples of the father. Be a light, friends. So many need it.